0: Sorry about that. The grace and peace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. Shall we pray? Lord, lead us through your narrow gate. Lead us, Lord, into the paths of everlasting life, though it be narrow and at times difficult. And as we enter into your presence, Lord, and your kingdom, Grant us a deeper understanding of your word and the ability to follow you and to do your will. So may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts, O oh Lord, be acceptable to you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. Uh, Today, if you if you look at your bulletin, you find in the front cover that uh, it's not so not so easily seen, but uh, it begins with this thought: uh, the gate to destruction is wide, and the road that leads there is easy to follow. Now, there is a, in a way, a paradox that we have in the way we understand the kingdom of God. Uh, The world would like you to believe many things, but at times we need to look at the truth of what Scripture tells us. One of the things that I need to do right at the outset of this morning is to correct uh, some of the wrong things I have said last week. Now, last week I did say something wrong. I don't know whether you picked out on it, uh, but I was reminded of it by uh, my my regular editor. Uh, It's my wife. (laughs) And she said, you know, you mentioned three Magi. And some of you are like, yeah, what's wrong with three Magi? Well, the reality is we sing that song, we three kings of Orient are uh, bearing gifts, we travel afar. But you realize that in the text itself, in the Bible, in the New Testament, in all the accounts of the Magi, there is no number three. It, it states, Magi from the east came bearing gifts. And the reason why we think there's three is because uh, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So we think it's three, but the actual fact is it's Magi from the East. We don't know the actual number. And so it's common little misperceptions of these things that often affect us. And uh, we intentionally have to correct our thinking every once in a while and and remind ourselves. And I've actually known this for a long time, but I, I fall into the trap. Because some of our songs, We Three Kings, every Christmas carol, we sing it. So it's ingrained into us. But here's the other one which is common to us. We always say God loves the world. Yes, He does. God so loved the entire cosmos that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him will not perish but have eternal life. So the invitation is to all but if we read what Jesus is saying in Matthew chapter 5 all the way to 7, which is this paramount Sermon of the Mount, we realize that the invitation is to all, but not many enter into this gate. And so I want us to be very careful about assuming, ah, uh, you know, we, we, we will always be able to find this kingdom of God and easily enter into this And some of my non-Christian friends also have a similar distaste for some of the Christian views about uh, the kingdom of God. You know, we say, uh, like last week, I mentioned that a kingdom has a king, has a boundary or a space in in which it works, and has subjects, right? And the subjects are people who uh, pledge allegiance to this king, Jesus Christ, and within this domain of operation, when you enter into this uh, kingdom, uh, you, you get a sense that God is king. So here's where some of my non-Christian friends find offence with the Christian gospel. They say, in the words of Dallas Willard, you Christians are sometimes a little bit like wrong packaging in a supermarket. Wrong packaging in a supermarket. You know, you go and buy a bunch of grapes, you see that it is grapes right but somehow the the price tag and the barcode is for figs and as as soon as you go to the scanner the scanner will scan you and say figs (laughs) ten dollars whereas grapes cost maybe twenty dollars and so what it is saying is what dallas willard was alluding to is sometimes we have the outer packaging of being called, uh, you know, uh, 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 of being something that we are called according to that price tag, but the reality of what we are is totally different. And what he means is at times we call ourselves Christian, but at times we are much, much worse than what we actually are. So how is it, how can it be that if we say that we have God with us, in us, and, and God is king and we live in the kingdom, Yet the content of our lives, our thoughts, and our actions hasn't changed. We see this, as Dalit Uzbek would say, on our bumper stickers. Christians are not perfect. They are just forgiven. That's another popular worldview. And it's not biblical. Let me, let me remind you. It's not biblical in the sense that, true, we are forgiven but we are not just forgiven. And there is this command, demand in a way, that the king says, be perfect as your God is perfect. Be holy for your God is holy. So there is a challenge that if we call ourselves to be like Christians, then being in the kingdom is also a transformative act, not just on the outside, but within us. And in the Sermon of the Mount, chapter 5, 6, and 7, Jesus is dealing with this question, what does it mean to be blessed? What does it mean to be good? Who is good? Now, we used to read, and I also used to read the, the, the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the poor in spirit. And early on in my Sunday school years, our teachers would tell us, okay, the poor in spirit, and they would do a lot of mental gymnastics to try and explain what it means to be poor in spirit. Because the assumption there is that for you to, to gain the kingdom of God, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God, therefore they equate, okay, so if, if I'm going to earn this kingdom of God, then I must be poor in spirit. Is that equation if you gain the kingdom of heaven by being poor in spirit, therefore I need to seek to be poor in spirit. But that's not what Jesus was trying to teach. Because if you start taking it that way, and you go on in chapter 6 and 7, where Jesus says, if one slaps you on the left cheek, turn the other cheek. If one tells you to go one mile, go the other mile. If anyone asks you for something, give them. What you then do is you create another set of rules, a very long list of rules, rules that are even harder than what the Pharisees and Sadducees were doing. And so what did Jesus mean when he said, unless your righteousness far exceeds the Pharisees and Sadducees, you cannot enter in the kingdom of God? Was Jesus ushering in a more legalistic and even more difficult kingdom? And so once we go down this uh, chapter 5, 6, 7, Beatitudes uh, type sermon as, oh, I must be like this in order to uh, qualify, we've missed the entire message of what Jesus meant. Let me put it to you that being in the kingdom is, you know, what, what Jesus was saying about being in the kingdom was not so much you need to be like this to enter into the kingdom. But what Jesus was saying, that those who are in the kingdom are blessed. Because even when you are poor in spirit, you still are a part of the kingdom. Now, who are those who are poor in spirit? You just need to look at the apostles. Being poor in spirit were the non-religious people, the people who were not involved with the, the spirituality and the chasing of all these things. Because the apostles or the disciples were entering into the kingdom. Who were people who were entering into the kingdom? Jesus was saying the the prostitute that came looking for him, the poor, the lame, the blind, the people who are mourning and grieving, they are blessed because the kingdom of God is now available to them. So the Sermon of the Mount is more describing the attitudes of a person who is now in the kingdom. They are blessed and they begin to reflect a nature of God that is representative of who they are rather than what they did in order to enter into this kingdom. Now I'm going to expound a little bit more on this and we turn to uh, this chapter 7. And so I want to highlight this point. Uh, keep at the th- at the back of your mind that God's kingdom has a narrow gate some people have alluded to this you know seed that's thrown into the ground of the of the three four different types of seed that's thrown in only one bears fruit and he bears many fruit from that one seed and Jesus himself in his word says enter through the narrow gate for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction Many enter through it, but small is the gate, narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. So let me make my first point. Uh, if, you, if, you have, uh, if you'd like to fill in the blanks, there's the outline in the middle of your bulletin, uh, and it's there in case you're falling asleep. Uh, Sunday morning, uh, raining this morning, very cool, and everybody like, uh, half asleep. Now, the entrance to the kingdom is easily missed, is the point that I'm trying to make in this particular point. Um, Wide is the gate and broad the road that leads to destruction. It tends to be that if you're looking for the easy way and you're looking for the most obvious gate, it will be the big ones. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life. And I I underline there, and only a few find it. Jesus is making this point, only a few find it. So let me make certain observations of this. One, why is this gate small? Two, why is it that you must go through the gate first, after which the road is narrow? And does it make a difference whether it's the road to the gate or the gate Uh, Is it the road to the gate, or the road after the gate? It it matters if you are trying to find your directions, right? Walk along this road until you come to a gate. (laughs) Then, then I kind of expect that you know uh, I have to find this narrow road first, then the gate. But what it is saying instead is, small is the gate, narrow is the road and you come to the road after you go through this gate. What is this gate? So let me give you this first, uh, first bomb, if <laughs> you want to put it there. Any, anyone have any idea what this gate is? And why is it a small gate? I'll put you out of your misery. You know, good pastors, we ask questions, we answer our own questions. <laughs> small is the gate because that gate is Jesus in the book of John Jesus says I am the gate no one goes to the father but through me Jesus also says I am the way the truth the life no one goes to father except through me so the gate is small because that gate is only one gate Jesus No other gates. Now this might seem very difficult for many of us who who always uh, come from a worldview. And you see it again on many bumper stickers. All religions are good. Just be good. And you will enter into heaven. All gods lead to the one God. Jesus is making a very authoritative statement here. And if you clearly understand what he's saying, there is only one gate it is a small gate and it is a narrow road that comes after this gate what does it mean it kind of means that even after you've gone through this uh, small gate of jesus the road is narrow it's not a life where many can crowd in and in particular for me when i talk about gates i do this often you know sometimes you want to move furniture if the if the door is only so big <laughs> i can only go in in a particular way and only certain things can go through this gate metaphorically we talk about physical stuff but spiritually you can only go through this gate as yourself. You cannot bring in your pride, you cannot bring in all your wealth and your assets, it's just you. There's only room for you. This kingdom doesn't afford your bringing of all your other assets and ego along with it. But this gate is very, very effective. Because when we look at the book of Revelations, when John looks up and he says, I see thousands and thousands upon thousands you know a sea of people who have been saved by this lamb the gate so it's a small narrow gate but it's a very effective one but here's the thing only a few find it which therefore means if you are not looking and you think that by having decided okay I shall follow Jesus end of story Maybe you've not found the narrow gate. you found a different type of gate. One that is easy, one that is broad. Many Christians come and tell me, not easy to be Christian, huh? I say, absolutely. And Jesus affirms it. Because to be a Christian and to follow this narrow gate is in a way to surrender to the fact that it is Him who draws us in. Not the easy way that I want. So, that's the first thought. Verse 15, watch out. Watch out for false prophet. So, remember this imagery. And we're talking about the kingdom of God, uh, kingdom of heaven. And I would, uh, I would put to you that uh, amongst all the scholars in the commentaries, we say that uh, kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven, interchangeable. They use it interchangeably. So, you come to this small gate, and this small gate is Jesus. You go through this gate, and the gate is narrow, which means you must be careful in the steps that you're taking, and you can't carry much stuff with you. It's just yourself going through this. And now, as you travel along this road, Jesus is saying, watch out for false prophets. What's the role of a prophet? A prophet basically goes around declaring God's word and pointing towards the kingdom so i'm in a way uh presenting that role i, I kind of like tell you this is what god's word says and i'm pointing you towards the ultimate destination and the person who carries us there and he says watch out for false prophets so along the way as you enter into this kingdom watch out for false prophets uh, They come to you in sheep's clothing, but uh, inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit, you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes? Remember the barcode. (laughs) I see, I see in the barcode it says grapes, but instead I see thorn bushes and stuff that is really useless. The contrast, and this is something that is taken from the Old Testament. The Lord comes seeking grapes from His vines, but instead He gets thorn bushes and thistles, useless stuff that is only worth taking together and burning, only useful for heat. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. Good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. It's kind of like a, duh. Yeah, I understand that. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And it then goes to say, verse 20, it's a repetition of verse 16, thus by their fruit you will recognize them. What's the point of what Jesus is saying? What comes out of them is what defines them, not their label, not their outside uh, perspective, not what they say. Along this journey in the kingdom where you're traveling, there will be prophets right? and there will also be, after this, disciples. But the common thing and the image that is given by Jesus is a wolf in sheep's clothing and a tree that does not bear good fruit. These two imagery is very common in us. They look the same. Sound the same, smell the same, but they don't produce the fruit that is expected of them. Uh, how do you know a wolf is a wolf? You come close, they eat you, lah. <laughs> they are ravenous, and they they once they pull off their pull off their cloak, they consume people. So false prophets are ones where they invite you close by pretending to be a sheep, but as soon as you come, they (laughs) they pounce on you and they consume you. Beware of these kinds of prophets. Beware of trees that look like trees but produce no good fruit. They look like it, but they don't produce fruits or they produce fruit that is not a good fruit. Pretend only. Many leaves. Let me make sure that I've not lost my train of thought here. Yes. So, Jesus has given this uh, picture of prophets, right? And prophets uh, on the outside look like uh, look like sheep or they look like good trees but they produce bad food and you determine that they are bad by what they are you don't look at the packaging you look at the content of what they finally deliver not what they declare not what they say not what they pretend to be but at the heart of who they really are but then further on jesus then says not everyone who says to me lord lord will enter the kingdom of heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy? Now, um, several things I want to draw your attention to. This is Jesus, carpenter, part-time fisherman, speaking to a crowd of people and telling them, not everyone who calls me Lord, 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 will enter the kingdom of heaven. Now this is outrageous for a person in the story to equate himself to God. Because the word that he's using there, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, that word was reserved for God. So Jesus, ordinary human being and God walking in human flesh, is now addressing the people in words that are utterly authoritative. He says, not everyone who comes to me and says to me and declares and acknowledges me as Lord will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Not one who just declares, not one who just has the packaging, but one who truly inside out has this transformed life in him. Now he goes further. He says, many will say to me on that day, and remember this is Jesus. Huh? This is Jesus, ordinary man, fisherman, carpenter. Primarily carpenter. You might consider him fisherman because he's hanging out with disciples who are fishermen and he's the greatest fisherman of all. Many will say to me on that day, Lord God, did we not prophesy in your name? Now, remember, these are Jewish people. Prophecies come from God. God. And so what Jesus is now doing is saying, I, this person standing before you, are saying that one day you will come to me and you will say, did we not prophesy in your name? In the name of God. In your name, drive out demons. Drive out demons. Who drives out demons? Not you, not me. God. God. You know, when, when we do healing, uh, when we do uh, situations where we have to deal with unclean spirits or exorcism, if you want to call it that, I am very clear that it's not me. I am very clear that it's not me. I am just a vessel. The chancol doesn't think that it's doing the digging. It is the person who is, do- who is carrying that chancol who is doing the work. So it is God working through me an instrument to do his will. It is God who does this. So many will say to me on that day, Lord Lord, did you not prophesy in your name? In your name, drive out demons and perform many miracles, all of which are pointing towards God. Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evil doers. Please, please. Read the text for what it is, and understand this text, and try not to listen to what all the worldviews are saying, because the world basically says if you can perform a miracle and you can do God's work, then you must be a, you must be very godly. But here is Jesus is saying even if you cast out demons and you do all these miracles, in His name, He refers to them as evil doers. Why? Have you ever thought about it? Because if you haven't, maybe you should. What is an evildoer? An evildoer is one who does not do God's will. Very simply. One who does instead His will. And so I might be doing uh, what I want to do to gain popularity. But God will use what I do for His will and purpose but because of the state of my heart when i'm doing it for my pride my arrogance i want people to look at it and say i the anointed one as i said it's like the chanko saying i am so great i'm digging all these big holes <laughs> but it's not the hole that digs the hole it's the hands behind the hole that is doing the work we are just tools So we must ask ourselves, what does it mean when Jesus says that entrance into the kingdom is not just a declaration of, Lord, Lord, you are God. Because that's what he's saying, you know. We tell our people, call out unto the Lord that he is God. Call upon his name, Jesus, save me. And we think, yeah, when we call upon Jesus and Jesus will save us, therefore we are saved. Verse 23 tells you, away from me, you evil doers. I never knew you. So entrance to the kingdom is not just knowing God, but being known by God. It's not a one-way street, you know, it's a two-way street. What does it mean to be known by God? So let me bring this into the point I'm trying to make here. True and false prophets, as well as true and false disciples, they all seek to enter into this kingdom. They're on this road, and some would argue maybe they already are in the kingdom. The kingdom of God exists with both of these people there. But the true and final kingdom only comes when Christ comes again. So it is a work in progress. eh? So prophets, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Not by their packaging, not by their declarations, but by their fruit. What is this fruit? Galatians 5.22 says, The fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. You see in them the fruit of God working. And these are things that are related to character. 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 Uh, do you realize, and this is something that only recently I heard, uh, again it's attributed to Dallas Willard he's a uh, flavor of the month for me he said, you know, when Jesus healed and did miracles he never healed people of their character never really healed them of their character issues in other words, after he had done this miracle people still lie <laughs> people still do things that are not godly But can they walk? Can they see? Yes. Do they declare Jesus is Lord? Yes. But the solving of the character issue, the internal packaging, for out of the heart of men comes their desires. God is saying, you need to abide in me and stay with me and walk with me. That's an ongoing miracle day by day. So disciples are the one who does the will of the father in heaven the will of the father not themselves so much as i might want to do all these miracles and do mission trip and do social concerns and all start and i think that that's what god wants to do to me actually it is more necessary for me to discern what god wants me to do there are many things i could do and i could busy myself with doing a lot of things but I might not be doing God's will. And Jesus said this at one point, you know, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, you tithe the mint and the cumin and you say this is dedicated to God as if it is a holy thing, but you don't even care for your father and your mother. And you dishonor God by dishonoring that main commandment. How many of us are dishonouring what God wants us to do by putting God as an excuse? And let me challenge uh, us, especially those in the leadership. I've seen many people, not this church, not this church, where their children hate them and their wife basically argues and fights with them. And these are leaders in the church. And when you sit down and you talk to them and you ask, why? And the answer is, I don't see my husband or I don't see my wife. They're always busy in church. Every day in the week, they disappear. My son has a graduation in school. He's not there. My son got a crisis. He's not there. But for everybody else, he is Messiah. (laughs) Walk on water for them. And if God gives you your children and your wife as a primary discipling unit, if God gives you your father and mother as your people who are immediately close to your family, you, you see them and you say, uh, this one not popular. Lah. That one, I do that everybody see. Clap. Wow, wonderful. Oh, yeah. In front of others, packaging great. But at the heart of it, the children know. Yeah, my dad like that outside. At home, huh? <laughs> a totally different story. My boss is like that in church. Come to the company I show you. Lah. Oh, minutes, lah, all that. This kind of deals can happen. It's not the packaging. It's the content of who we are that God is looking at. And what is that person? It is the one who will do the will of God rather than pretend on the outside that he is that. And those who enter the kingdom know and are known by Jesus Christ. Now what does it mean to know and uh, be known by Jesus Christ? This word, gnosis, to yada, in, in Hebrew it's yada, to know. I know, I know, yada, yada. You know, it's a very deep concept word, you know, because it is, on the one hand, when you know your husband or your wife so well, before they say anything, you know what they're going to say already. The Bible uses it in, at, at one level, uh, emotional, mental level, but it also uses it at a physical, intimate level. So when it says there that Mary, uh, that Joseph did not know Mary, it's variously translated as they did not have marital relations. Or uh, more specifically, they did not have sexual relations. Now, I'm not saying that you're supposed to have sexual relations with Jesus. Not that. Please don't get me wrong. But I'm saying that the level of intimacy and knowledge of each other is really to know someone well. I ask you, how well do you know your God? how well does he know you? Recently, I I hit a a wall (laughs) because the question was asked to me, how well do you know me, my wife, my children? And at times, I say to myself, I don't even know myself, (laughs) let alone you. But this is why Jesus says, seek, and you'll find, ask and it will be given to you. Knock, and it shall be opened to you. Narrow is the gate. Very few find it. And you only find it if you are looking for it. How many of us in our daily life really couldn't be bothered to seek God out? Because I'm presenting to you the paradox of your life. If Jesus really matters, if He is the lover of your soul, if you say you love Him, are you really seeking Him out? Do you really know Him? And are you being known by Him? Or are you too busy saying, I want you to know me, but let me go and do my own things. Sorry if you feel I'm laying a guilt trip on you. But you need to know this. Not the worldviews of this world that gives you the big gates. Jesus ends this particular thing. Now, I, I gave those verses at the bottom. John 14, 15 to 31. 1 John 4 and 1 Corinthians 8.3 Because to know God is love Him. Especially 1 Corinthians 8.13. Those who love God are known by God. That's what that verse says. Those who love God are known by God. How many of you, when you really look into your lives, right, it is the love of another person, to them or for them, that binds your behavior. When I say binds your behavior, it means it determines your behavior. Out of love for your child, you wake up early in the morning, five, six o'clock in the morning, prepare breakfast for them, drive them to school center. Your behavior is defined by that, and it is a love that is freely given. You cook your meals for your husband or you go and take your wife out for holidays. It is because of this relationship of love for each other. A conscious, determined choice to do what is right in their eyes out of love. That is what, in a way, Jesus says. And it is this love that transforms us. That we begin to do these things, to walk the other mile, to turn the other cheek to go and give to others out of that love. And trust me that love doesn't come because you decide you want to fill this packaging. It comes because you you know the love of God for you. And out of that love, it flows out to others. It comes from the heart. It's not an outward packaging thing. jesus ends this phenomenal sermon on the mount with this last image everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock everyone who hears everything from chapter 5 6 7 but the entire life of jesus not just dealing with the outside packaging, yes, I follow Jesus, yes, He is Lord, yes, give me the power to be able to do these miracles. No, no. It is, will you love Him and will you submit your entire life to Him such that you enter into this narrow way and your entire outward life is transformed by that inward transaction that has occurred. He ends with this parable by saying, Everyone who hears these words of mine puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Rain came down, streams rose, winds blew, beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. Who is this rock? Jesus. And the things that he says, the word of God. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. Rain came down, streams rose, winds blew, beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. The storm is certain, the flood is sure, and the destruction is inevitable for those who do not build themselves on the rock of God. There are two ways in which this happens. One in this current life, right? When all the trials and temptations come away but more importantly, the sure and certain flood that occurs upon Judgment Day. The flood that comes, because every time we talk about a flood in the Old Testament, God's judgment, Noah's ark. The sure and certain judgment that comes if you are not building yourself on doing what God wills us to do, you're on shaky ground. So let me end with this thought wise builders build their house on the rock and the rock is jesus that's the center and core of who we are and those who hear jesus words and put them into practice means do it and persistently do it musicians practice daily until their fingers are sore and they hate the music but they practice because they aim to get to a point where they are free to express their music without bounds. Christians put into practice doing God's will so that when it comes, not because it is easy, but because when the time comes to live life and life to the full, it becomes natural to them. It's practice. But if you only know about it in mind and do not practice it, then... You are like that foolish builder who did not put into practice what God has called you to do. It is a regular, persistent, intentional walking of that narrow road. Ending with this, know, be and do. Do you know which gate is the one that you're walking on right now? That you have walked through? which road have you taken? And Jesus' point is, if the gate seems very broad and the road seems, sorry, if the gate is very wide and the road seems very broad, maybe you're walking on the wrong one. Small as the gate. Christ, Christ alone is that door, is that gate. Christ alone is that narrow road. Please don't assume that I have the outer packaging, therefore everything is sorted. No, conform to the pattern of his path. How did you find it? Many times, uh, uh, and I I need to say this, I know I'm taking a bit more time than I should, I need to say this, be very welcome when your children or your young adults, when I say young adults, means uh, your children who are much older, ask difficult questions about God because it means that they're still trying to find answers to the difficult questions in life and unless and until they do they're not really looking and it is worse to me to have a Christian who has the outer packaging of a Christian but doesn't ask the difficult questions Because their internal life is not changing. In fact, I would rather a person who says, I'm not really sure I'm a Christian because I have all these questions because it means they are still seeking. So welcome the questions and tell them, I too am seeking and continuing to walk this narrow road because Christianity is not an event where I just walk through this gate. It is a journey of daily following Jesus Christ. Daily. Every day you make that decision. Which gate? Which path? And it is the narrow, the difficult one. Two. A state of being and becoming. A state of being and becoming. Do you know Jesus? Do you love Jesus? And are you known by Him? That's a tough one, you know. Maybe you need to go back and think, do I really love God? Or am I just pretending on the outside? Because I want God to love me in the way I want Him to love me, but I'm not willing to love Him the way He wants me to love Him. What does that mean for you? Because for me, loving God has meant everything. Giving up all in order to be and follow His way. And daily I'm wrestling and struggling with this. The only thing that keeps me going is, I know He loves me, I know I love Him. And I'm discovering how much more it takes to follow that path. Lastly, are you putting Jesus' words into practice? Or is it just up here? (laughs) It hasn't translated down here. It's one of these like, I know I want to do this ministry, but I got all this but, but, but. I know I'm supposed to forgive, but I know I'm supposed to da, 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 But I know I'm supposed to evangelize to my neighbor, to my father, to my mother, to my, my sister, all that, my office mate. I know I'm supposed to. But put it into practice so that what is outside and inside are together let's together put all this into practice, shall we pray Lord you call us into the kingdom you call us to seek the narrow and the small gate Lord, the narrow road and the small gate grant Lord that we understand your call for what it truly is and though this gate is small Yet it is the gate that leads to life. Lead us, Lord, into the fullness of light. Grant us, Lord, the courage and the will to do what you want us to do rather than what we desire for our own selfish ways. We commit this to you, Lord, asking all this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.